0: I don't want a pickle. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is the Noka Moto Podcast, episode number 173. I think I am your host, Moto GP, and with me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. Yep. Coming to you from Northern Colorado, where we had another one of our 300 Days of Sunshine we get every year up here. And, you know, I was... um So so this uh, during this last week, I, I said last week that I've been uh, in, in talks with the AMA. And I did actually become an AMA member, finally. Uh, which, remind me, I need to look up what my number is on... The uh, the podcast email. I don't need to get access to all that stuff again, and uh, well, most importantly, so I know my race number. That's key information. Fun fact: If you join the AMA, you don't have to actually like register for any racing league. The AMA defaults to using the last three numbers of your AMA membership number as your default race number. So all you gotta do is join, and you've got a race number. I, I I feel like it's worth it just for that. So anyway, I gotta find out what my race number is. And um yeah. So I was just, you know, going over a bunch of legal stuff because you know, when a high profile member like me comes on, there's considerations, and of course, head of legal over at Moto 1, like. He was like, you did what? I was like, yeah, I just joined the AMA. It's totally not a big deal. He snapped a pencil, and he's like, they should be paying you. But anyway, that's all good. They're sending me extra issues of the October issue, extra copies of the October issue, and I'm just going to float it out there. So I'm having a October issue of American Motorcyclist magazine. It's in the mail on the way here right now, and so it's got a sticker on it with my name and address. So it is my copy of it. I don't. I, we're, I'm not going to give it away, but I'm just going to put it out there. If you want me to autograph it, <laughs> autograph <laughs> the page that that I'm on in there, and it's and it's like my issue of it, right? I mean, you know, people could just autograph it and try to fake. Any other issue, right? But mine's postmarked as mine, so you know that's that's extra authenticity right there. I don't know. I, I could be I could be persuaded to to part with that, and and we could just you know keep your issue around for memories, right? You know, someone. I'm just saying, someone make me an offer. They, it doesn't have to be money, right? You know, like I don't know if like Phil or Liza can can do something else special for us. That's, you know, moto connected, you know, it's not money. I don't know. Just get creative. (laughs) So there we go. Um, Let's see what we're going to talk about in this episode. So we've got a few messages kind of building up on Patreon here. And we said we were going to make a priority for, correspondence through patreon because that's part of being a patreon member so we're going to make good on that so anything that people have wanted to bring up or suggest we're going to do those at the top of the show so if you send an email you know we read your emails and stuff but you're still going to have to listen through an hour and a half of show first whereas patreon yeah you get your stuff at the beginning of the show here before we even do best worst bike, how about that? So we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna do best worst bike, and then we have compiled, you know, we haven't even figured out exactly what it is, but we have a list here with multiple bikes in each category, 10 different categories, and we're gonna to try to work through our top 10 best bikes of the 90s. And, you know, I, I think this should be something that we do about like every six months or so. And so the next one, will go back to like the 80s, you know, and then maybe we'll do something weird like the 50s. I don't know, whatever. Um, but we are openly challenging Cleveland Moto to improve this list. OK, Phil. So there you go. Knives out. Come at us, but we feel free to send us your wrong opinions, your wrong opinions. right, But we don't even have the list figured out yet. We're going to debate it out and work through it. But I've got at least two or three options in every single category here. And we will declare very strong, clear categories and criteria for this. This is not some sort of bullshit list like some other shows might do. All right. And we're not going to do GP this year, uh, this this week, because next week is the end of the season and Rossi's last race. And that's just going to have to be a whole big thing on its own. We'll kind of sum up the end of the season and other things in that. Cool. So do you have the the patron patreon stuff brought up swigs i do excellent all right and i don't think all of it was necessarily meant for a, a live read from us but w- what have we got
1: <clears throat> uh we did have a patron message calling me out uh from some from a call in- Calling me out for not actually reading his email after acknowledging it, uh, I was probably drunk and we were probably very distracted. Uh, so I'm going to go back and read his email that he sent at the end of October, and it's titled "Podcast Potential Topic and or Rabbit Hole." And he says, "Glad you guys are doing the podcast again. First off, you guys should definitely get dirt bikes dual sports." At some point, I currently have a KTM six. And, oh wait, you know what? This is from twenty twenty. I'm. Did I miss? I'm lost. I feel like I we did read this. It sounds like something we read. Uh this is for me. Uh, all right. Uh, do, do 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 do. You've stalled the show already. I. Know. I'm a little too sober to be reading emails right now. Yeah,
0: um, I don't have any booze. We should we need to work on
1: that for next week. These shows have been entirely too dry for a while. It's true. He it says, uh, okay, so since we're way past the whole you guys should get dirt bikes thing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we're real far past that. Let's go to the the actual question. So he says, now I have a question for you guys. I may be moving to Europe in the near future. With your strange international history and knowledge of esoteric and obscure motorcycles, you guys seem like the best resource on this topic. What crazy cult status bikes only available in Europe should I look at buying while over there? Kajiva Super City. The, this could not be more up your alley if you're
0: into weird dirt bikes and things. It's essentially a, it's a one two five two stroke supermoto. I, I, what could be more your jam?
1: There's that. There's also the, um, I believe it might even be the same motor. There's also the Galera one two five.
0: Oh, that that's a yeah. That's That's gonna be one. That's
1: gonna be really hard to find though.
0: Um, The Super City's a lot more common. Um, Yeah, that's where I'd have to go with that.
1: Yeah, those are strong options. Um, There's also just a lot of weird. I mean, there's a lot of weird one two fives. Hmm. Although uh, I don't know about the rest of Europe, but if you're in England, you could still get a a W six fifty, or even a a, a last gen W eight hundred.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if I'm going to Europe and I'm buying a semi-obscure or at least, you know, something that would be gray market weird here. um, you Get a Deauville. A Deauville. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't think I could go there. There's, there's better options. But I, hmm, hmm, hmm. Maybe one of those like those like uh like trans alp like special editions that we never got here that might be a good one those
1: are around or or even something like uh an Africa twin seven fifty the old Africa twin,
0: ooh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can get those here too, but like I feel like hmm, yeah i. Uh, the the Transalp was a bigger bike in Europe. I want to. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking my ass there, but I feel like they got some special editions of it that we didn't get. That might be an option to go. Down. Uh, no, I'm going back to the Super City. It makes so much more sense for the you know the continent rather than here, right? Yeah. It's it's a bike that comes into its own in the and just a one two five supermoto two stroke. That's so cool. I yeah. I'm sold. That's what, you know, and they make like like, like 30 horsepower. They're like, it's like a, it's not, you know, it's like those like crazy high tuned KTM 125s, right? It's just like on the brink of exploding all the time. I love that. Just an absolute screamer, a little wheelie machine. That's what I would do. That's the first thing I'd be looking for.
1: Yeah. All right. And then he also sent some uh, some suggestions for best work by war Spike. Um the uh Suzuki Elets which automatically gets some shit for having an apostrophe in its name. I think that's a fair point. Uh Yamaha XJR 1300. It's an interesting one I have to mull that over. And then Aprilia RS 250, uh, another interesting one. I don't know where I would fall on. I feel like I could make a case either direction for these, except for maybe the Elets. I'm gonna have to look into that one. Well, sorry for being a late, for being a year late to reading your email, um, but there you go. And then he signs off with Keep Fucking the Dragon. Nice.
0: Okay. All right.
1: So what else have we got here? Uh I guess we can read the uh the creative writing. Cause this is a this is somewhat of an interesting topic he brings up. Says, hey, Nokomoto, no don't you just hate it when there's some new piece of shit bike on a uh, new new piece of shit on exif or Pipe Burn that is an all-out fast boy, race-ready, home-built Bonneville salt machine, or even better, a custom one-off race-ready modified Vitpilot, or what about the race-ready Moto Comp?o At any rate, all of these fabulous home shop home slash shop small shop built bikes that are race-ready. Can you tell me what races exactly? Except for Bonneville, I'm not sure what race class the race ready Moto compo or Pillin qualify for. Worse than legacy fraud is building a race ready bike for a class that doesn't exist. It's just a custom bike. I I yeah, agree. that's a good point. Race ready really is a bullshit term
0: yeah unless you have an active race team, I argue that even the most prepped bike is not race ready if it does not have someone to pay the fees to enter it into a race, transport it there, have mechanics to work on it, and a rider to race it who's registered i i
1: will i'm going unless no, you have those things in place, are you race ready i'm going to make I, i'm going stipulate one requirement you have to be able to tell me the race it is eligible to enter or the series that it is. It doesn't have to be competitive. It doesn't have to be decent at it. It just has to be actually by the rules, legitimately ready to race when it is
0: purchased. But by this criteria also, every bone stock uh, SV-650 is race-ready.
1: <laughs> Every uh, well, Ninja 300. That's technically not true. Okay, you
0: gotta take the headlight out. Yeah. What, but you gotta take the mirrors off, the headlight out. Um, you have to have a belly pan. Uh, is there
1: much else? Technically, no. But you should satisfy those requirements. Okay, yeah, I guess so. <laughs>
0: I mean, I don't think you even have to take i don't know someone have to look into this, but I think for a lot of like that stuff like the s v six fifties that like twin stuff like that, I don't think you can- i think you can just run turn signals even like no one gives a shit yeah i I think really they're mostly concerned about spilling like fluids on the track,
1: yeah, that's basically it
0: i uh, yeah
1: i <laughs> ridiculous it is a it is, in most cases, kind of a bullshit term. It doesn't really mean anything. It It's kind of used as like a this is the fast one or this is the tuned up one. Yeah, in the, in the 90s and early
0: 2000s, there were a lot of 600s, 750s, and 1 liters that were, you know, the regular, the F version, the R version, the RR version.
1: There, yeah. The RRR version. Well, I mean that's an, <laughs> that's an <laughs> innovation. Yeah, <laughs> the RRR.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. The pirate bikes. There were a lot of pirate. I'm gonna start calling them pirate bikes. There, there were a lot of those. I get it, but yeah, yeah. On the custom scene, race ready bullshit. I'm calling it bullshit. Yeah, that. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one, junkie. It's the fake fake racing cred right that you know what that is that's moto stolen valor
1: <laughs> okay anyway <laughs> <laughs> all right moving along this is uh, another patron message from uh not another one a patron message another patron message this one from John and he says concerning public lands use you guys have it good there in the west here in northwest Indiana, we have a giant park all along the shore of Lake Michigan. Sand dunes, wood trails, beaches, just beautiful land, but good luck trying to have fun. Beautiful? On like on the outskirts of Valparaiso? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I know this area of
0: which you speak. <laughs> Like, if you want to navigate a maze of dodgy strip clubs and abandoned factories, yeah, sure, there might be a nice area on the other side of that. If you've ever driven that depressing corridor between Valparaiso, Gary, and Chicago, okay... But yeah, I think yeah, he's, no specifically talking,
1: he's specifically talking about away from civilization.
0: Yeah, I, but it's still a triangle which is surrounded on three points by Grand Rapids, Valparaiso, and Chicago. Is I, this sort of like a Texarkana
1: situation? Yeah, I
0: don't care how <laughs> pristine it is. Just knowing that those are your endpoints is a depressing idea. <laughs> okay, but yeah. He makes a good point. We we yeah. do have it good here.
1: And yeah, he says uh, you can't you can't ride a motorcycle anywhere, and you can't even take your dog on the beach. I have to go to private riding parks and tracks to get the dirt bike out of the yard. It's bullshit. Also, they banned alcohol on the beach because boomers fucked it over for everyone. Bullshit. Also, you mentioned the cult around fifth gen VFRs. As an erudite eighth gen owner who goes to VFR forums and Facebook groups, let me tell you, these guys never shut up about gear-driven cams. And you know what? I wouldn't either. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to tell you, one of the
0: things about owning my, um, my Super Hawk was just knowing that it was the RC51 motor without gear-driven cams and i have to admit that ate away at me a little bit like i didn't want i mean i always thought to myself if there was a way to easily trade this up to an rc51 i would and it might not even be for it being faster like it might just be to go like oh you hear that that's gear driven cams <laughs> <Like, laughs> i it's i don't know i uh, yeah, I. But I'm also with him. Like I, I uh, personally, I don't know about to. It's re- kind
1: of like it's kind of like in the you like, know like the when you told getting, the like,
0: listeners a couple years ago, like you you let it slip that you vape. Like I might prefer the eighth gen over the fifth gen VFR.
1: Yeah, I don't. Well, the other thing about the gear-driven cams is it's kind of like. Do you remember right after digital watches? Like, we, when we finally decided that, like, since you can buy a digital watch for, like, $7, they may be not that special anymore. It
0: wasn't such a neat idea, or pretty and, neat
1: idea. And then, like, really fancy watches started coming back. But then, like, a lot of, like, Walmart, like, $30, like, analog watches started becoming popular. And you'd show somebody your watch and be like, quartz crystal. Does that do anything? I, yeah,
0: no I don't idea. know. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Chris. Yeah.
1: yeah. Is that special? It's I supposed know. to be. I, yeah. It's fancy.
0: What, printed it on the face. Look, gear-driven cams is... It's really... it. It's Desmo valves for the rest of us.
1: That's a good way to put it, yeah.
0: That, so you know, like let the fifth gen guys have their thing. You know, like I get it; it's a little obnoxious, but you know what? <sighs> you know, just let them have it is where I where I sit on that. Because yeah, I kind of want gear driven cams too. I mean, <laughs> if I could have gear driven cams on my Goldwing, I. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're belt drive technically. It would, whatever. So. Yeah. There we go. All
1: right. And that is, uh, oh, what happened? I don't know. No, that was my headphones. Oh. All right. Yeah. So that's us Cat caught up. Oh, really? That was
0: it? Okay. Yeah. Um, should we do a little roll call, like a little shout out? So we now have 13, uh, I, can, I don't know how to say this, Patreoners, patrons, pa- whatever they are. Patreon supporters. I think that's what we we're actually supposed to say,
1: right? Isn't it just patron is that it that I would go with?
0: Oh, I think it is. Yeah, it says here I'll recently plus two pages. Page, okay. See so yeah, it was used. Jesse, we've got like this what's it total activation. Who is this? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. My thing's about to die. Things are going badly today.
1: Um, I think we should maybe try and keep this show on the rails and just get into Best Worst Bike.
0: Okay, let's do that. Okay, hold on. I do have to fix a thing real quick. Okay, so let's do it. Let's get to best worst bike in the world this week. So here we go. We have each chosen a bike. Shouldn't be much of a surprise because we do this every week. One of us is best worst in the bike, the best bike in the world this week. And one of us has worse. We don't know what the bike each other has chosen. It's a surprise. And you're going to be surprised along with us. Okay, it's just a fun way to look at a couple different bikes in a way that you might not normally look at them. So, if you've got extra special opinions about it, you can send an email to contactinokomotopodcast.com, or better yet, join the Patreon and pay money for us to care more about your feelings. So, Swigs, you have... Best bike in the world this week. I do. Excellent. It's all going to plan. Are you ready to reveal it? Two in a row. Yeah. Okay. And the best bike in the world this week is
1: the KTM RC390. Okay.
0: Um. I kind of think I like the Vit Pillen
1: 401 better, but changed my mind. So the reason I picked this bike is for one, the VitPillen slash Pillin already was a best bike in the world. But primarily I picked this as a contrast to my previous worst bike in the world, which is this is how you do a small displacement sport slash standard bike. Ah, okay. Because the other one is similar or same frame, Scale everything down, make everything look out of proportions. This is its own bike. This is its own bodywork. This is its own frame. It has its own character. There's something special about it and premium about it that would get you to buy one over just picking a used bike. This is how you do a modern entry level bike.
0: Also, this is one of those bikes that I've never heard anyone say anything bad about, except for... It's
1: except- KTM maintenance, and it's KTM price and KTM parts.
0: Well, no, I was going to say, I've heard Cleveland Moto say less than favorable things about it, but I think it's because they're kind of older, somewhat overweight dudes, and it's just not meant for them right like 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 god bless him like johnny McElfresh is one of the the sweetest guys i've ever fucking met i cannot imagine him riding one of these fucking things and i'm not surprised that he was like uh it 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 had a, it was missing a little here and there i'm like i d- did anyone get like video of this
1: like anyway so it is 44 horsepower it's it's got some go. Um it is a little bit weird and exotic in that it is 14 and a half to 1 compression, which is yeah. maybe a bit much for a, a single. Well, how do you get
0: like, you know, something of that displacement to make that power, right? Like you tune it within an inch of its life.
1: Yeah. It does create a Honda level sin of calling itself the RC390. And then having a displacement of three hundred and seventy cc's, which is a very weird. So KTM, like to not round it off to a hundred or to fifty, and then for it to not even be that displacement.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, and then and then it gets it gets even more ridiculous with the the Husqvarna four hundred one. And then what? There's I feel like there's another Husqvarna that uses this and calls it like the the something else number. Like again, we've talked about this in the last six months. There there's a there's a few companies. Like everyone's got everyone has one motorcycle manufacturer whose number naming system they just can't can't wrap their head around or keep straight or deal with. For a lot of people it's Harley and you know, so they just use the nicknames, you know. For a lot of people it's BMW. I, KTM is, is one of mine. I, I just it's so hard to keep shit straight because it mixes with the Husqvarna shit and I nothing's the actual displacement that it is. Like I'm cooler with
1: um, It for me it's it's like trying to remember like oxidation numbers off the periodic table. Oh, like yeah. in high school, it's like <laughs> i I don't know, and I'm never gonna get this,
0: yeah, yeah, what's the atomic weight of the r c
1: 390 okay, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I picked this because this is this is a bike that somebody new to riding could purchase, feel good about, it doesn't just completely break the bank and it's approachable but it's also premium in a way that justifies an entry-level purchase over just getting a used bike this this bike justifies purchasing new
0: yeah well and it's a proper sports bike too in that it's not a super easy user experience it's Like I said, this engine's really freaking tuned up, and it's not a lot of torque, and it's all about keeping it in a power band and shifting at, you know, kind of, you know, when the turn and the revs and the horsepower and everything demands it. Not when you feel like it. a big thing with bikes that are successful and people like to ride in this country is sort of just... The gearing and the power just sort of be like, you know, choose your own adventure around every corner and, and, and to be really forgiving. And this is not going to be that way. If you want to enjoy this, you kind of have to ride it to its strengths because it's a small bike, but it's like the biggest small bike. I don't know. Like, cause again, that 14 to 1 compression, that, that everything that, that very racy gearbox, that riding position, that everything about it, it's, I mean, it's got almost a sort of like Moto three vibe to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's basically kind of what it is. It's just, I mean, it's still like 75% of the horsepower. Uh, right. With almost with 100
0: a hundred <laughs> CCs more. Yeah.
1: But it's, um, yeah, I mean it's it's basically like how much can you get out of a cylinder and not have it explode after a hundred miles?
0: Yeah, what's the maximum performance you can put into something which still has a warranty, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean that's really what it is. Yeah, and, and do that on the lower end of the scale, and you know, with one freaking cylinder. But the one cylinder, like, you know, it, it, it's not a bug. It's a feature. It, it's, it's a, it's an engine that has a different feeling than you're used to. And it's not underpowered. You think it's going to be underpowered and it's totally not. And you think to yourself, like, "Uh, it's just going to feel like half as exciting as my twin or a quarter of exciting as my inline four. No, it's a totally different sensation. And it's hard to describe it. I I mean I mean, first of all, the sound's different, the vibration's different, but the power's different. It, um, I don't know, the traction's different, the everything about it's different. The you know, the speed of the revs, it's all a whole thing. And, you know, especially after you've been riding for a while, it's exactly the kind of thing that can Like rekindle a love of bikes after you're like ah you know I've been riding this you know whatever thing for fifteen years and I I don't know maybe there's not a lot left in this for me anymore. Sometimes going down this route is something that just totally you know again you know the cleveland Motor guys they're always talking about like these super quirky bikes because well i mean they've ridden a lot of fucking stuff and you know so have we so you always end up sort of going towards the weird but you know I have this no is no idea what you're
1: talking about
0: <laughs> right? yeah um but yeah yeah it's 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 not so much that it's the most powerful bike in the world because it's not but it's definitely a lot more exciting than you would give it credit for at first. Yeah. In any of the versions it comes in. I like the the RC version, but just, what's the what's the 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 but the 390 Duke like yeah. is is great as well, as is the Husqvarna 41. In any of the flavors this engine comes in, this engine in frame, I'm a big fan in in, in any of them because it's supremely engaging it's also practical it makes i mean it will do you know 80 90 miles an hour with my fat ass on it but it also makes 40 miles an hour through the middle of town feel like 80 miles an hour
1: yeah and yeah and you can take it on the highway Well, I mean, like, like with the, I don't think I'd
0: ride it more than seventy miles on the highway. I think it would get a little bit of a chore any further than that. But I'd take it like to Denver. Yeah,
1: well, it's also pretty uncompromising, like just in the seating position, um, just the ergonomics in general. Uh, Also, by the way, this does come with forty-three millimeter forks. Oh, really? I
0: didn't realize they were that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, Again, there, it's a proper sports
1: bike. There really aren't a lot of corners cut on this. What do they cost? Uh, they cost... Well, let's see what they cost today for like the 2022. Yeah, it's been
0: around for a while too. I mean, its I don't think it's been a decade, but it's probably not far off. It's been at least five years. I know that. I bet it's longer.
1: Uh, where does KTM put their fucking price? Jeez,
0: the KTM doesn't do anything that makes sense. That's 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 kind of why we love them, don't love them, sort of. I don't know. It's, let's say yeah. appreciate, but it's it's what we notice about them. They, they, uh, KTM. so it's
1: fifty seven hundred. That's a lot better than I thought it was. Yeah. Um. They do charge an extra fifty bucks for the freight. It's four fifty for freight. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: that's actually a lot better than I thought it was. Wow, I didn't realize that it was under the price of the
1: Husqvarna. I think when it comes to, I, well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is something that. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Uh, Under six
0: grand for 44 horsepower is not a bad value proposition just in terms of, you know, like, you know, dollars per horsepower. That's not bad.
1: I mean, probably out the door. This is I'm going to guess less than a thousand dollars more than like a Ninja 400. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's not a huge range from. You know, it's weirdly competitive with supreme. a Ninja
0: 400.
1: Yeah, I think it might be more horsepower, and it might be more. It's torque. definitely gonna be lighter. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you're going to get reamed on the maintenance.
0: Yeah, but but I besides
1: mean, that, it,
0: but ah, uh, it's under six grand. It's it's a freaking KTM. It's a it's a full
1: on legit sport bike. It's, you got your 43 millimeter forks, and you've mm-hmm. got your you got your trellis frame yeah I, i'm about it okay
0: yeah that, that's a good pick i haven't i don't know i just one have they haven't really crossed my mind except for the husqvarna's in a while but it yeah it's super it, it's also it's also oh, the last thing i'll say about it is it's a ktm that isn't just fucking disturbing to look at there's no vagina headlight well, I mean, kind of, but not. It's not bad. Like as far as like the KTM styling, it's a little bit more traditional sport bike than other KTM's. Yeah. So thank you, KTM. Please don't change it.
1: All right, I think we're ready to move on.
0: Cool. So we're ready to do the worst bike. Let's do it. Okay. And the worst bike in the world this week is. The nineteen eighty-one Honda CR four fifty R. Now you might be saying to yourself, Hold on, Pete. What what are you talking about? Like I thought Honda Two Strokes were awesome. I thought you love Honda Two Strokes. Hey. Like, isn't this the bike that came right before the CR500R? A bike that you put as, like, you know, best bike in the world this week or whatever? Or uh, it may have been worse. I don't care. <laughs> but, um you know, like, what 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 why, why are you hating on a Honda? Isn't Honda your fucking jam? This, okay, this bike is, okay, wow. Let's get into it. Okay. So Honda didn't really do... Honda was late to the game for some of these bigger two-strokes. Uh, they were kind of the last of the big four to get into this. So Honda gets this CR450R out, and everyone else already has a bike sort of in this this open class of, of big two-strokes. So they they really... Uh, Honda has always hated, always hated um uh two-strokes in general. It's not what they do. It's not what they want to do. So they really just took their 250 and bored it out. So it's not even a 450. It's like a 420 or something like that. They just called it a 450, which is very Honda, but whatever. But because of this, it, the... It didn't behave the way that people expected it to. It was just a um, like basically like a 250 that bucked harder. It didn't really, you know, it didn't have more torque and it didn't like it what didn't have a wider power band. It saw the same narrow power bandage, would just buck harder. So it was horrible to ride. The only like thing it had going for it is it's the first bike with the Honda ProLink uh, rear suspension. So, I mean, it's got that, but it's not enough to save the bike. And then on top of that, it manages to do a thing that even for the 1980s, that even for dirt bikes is just unforgivable. Because, okay, I know you've never liked the look of Honda dirt bikes, but are you currently looking at a picture on your laptop of one of these? i am justify that number plate if you can
1: uh it's a little tricky right
0: (laughs) this is a dirt bike that manages to be ugly and dumb looking even for an 80s dirt bike which kind of just always
1: look a little bit awkward anyway this makes the bmw k1 look gorgeous
0: Right, I—I I mean, from this huge, uh, uh f- like extra wide, super square off, flat front fender that makes zero sense. I—you like, couldn't have just like taken a little sandpaper to the fucking corners of it, right? To this number plate that Honda, I. To this day, no one seems real sure what it's about. Like, I guess the bike wasn't as fast or as powerful as maybe they thought. And they thought, let's make it more aerodynamic with the number plate. Let's not have this flat number plate with an, I don't know, easy to read number for racing purposes on it. Let's make it look like a snow shovel. And that's what they did. And it makes no sense and i people have weird theories about it getting more air down to the engine but i don't see how it would do that uh i really don't get it at all i don't know why it's that shape i don't know what the thinking is it There's makes also zero sense
1: this really weird sort of like almost hot black desiderio thing going on where it's red frame with a red motor with yeah. a red tank with red plastics
0: like honda was all about yeah painting the motors red in this phase and i'm not it, like again i it's love honda good. it's not good well the the big thing too is that it's
1: sort of it it it's almost like the bleached asshole of motorcycle fashion okay like- <laughs> <laughs> Did you have my attention <laughs> expand on this go for it. Like for some reason somebody thought it was going to be attractive and help and and look good, but it it doesn't make sense. It's it you're put you're putting your anus in this weird sort of uncanny valley of technically this should be more aesthetic, but it's just kind of disturbing and off-putting. And Maybe they thought, you know, the color coordination—it's gonna look slick, and it does not. It makes it look like a toy. Oh
0: yeah, this also had a um, a four speed transmission that uh, nobody liked, and it was it was bad. Um, let's see what else. This? Oh, the the flywheel was way too light. Apparently, it had. Um, What else would people complain about here? What's also my notes about this? Um, Oh, apparently the clutch was super fucked up on this. So even if you uh, had the clutch pulled all the way in, it would slowly pull forward. Okay. Like the clutch would just never, and then sometimes it would just decide to engage more. Even like you couldn't. This is a problem for race starts. I can see that. Well, I mean, I guess in motocross, you know, you've got that bar that drops. But, like, not if the tires like, pressed, like, super hard against it because your bike won't stop inching forwards. I, there's just issues everywhere. It it just wasn't thought out. Honda was like, "Well, I guess we just got to make a big bike because we we've got to make a big bike." And they didn't put it. The 500 improved almost everything about this or the 480, whatever the one after this was. I think it was the 480 before they went to the 500. But and everyone loves those. But this was really Honda's first go at this type of thing and just because Honda just has no respect for two strokes and never did and never wanted to do two strokes. They just kind of, they just kind of whiffed this one. And I, you know, a lot of people will say sort of like
1: ordering salad at a pizza restaurant.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. This is the pizza hut salad bar. Um, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's just off putting and and like you said, like the the red painted engine, like if you look at a Honda now, they've really grown into their own style, and no one's ever accused a Honda of being the most high performance dirt bike, but no one thinks that they're shitty, right right, you know, and there's there's definitely people that think they're the best dirt bike because even though they're not the most uh powerful it's more about rider skill and it's more reliable so you'll get to be, be in more races with a Honda therefore you're more likely to win your season on a Honda and it's it's a little easier to ride so you know there you you know it doesn't matter that it's 3 horsepower less than the Yamaha because well you're just going to you know just just do your drills and be a better rider, and you can easily overcome that. Plus, your bike's easier to work on, and it's it's more reliable and all that. But, but this is a Honda dirt bike that people are like, oh, no, this was the shitty one. This is the shitty one out of the bunch. And for a Honda to have that is – that stings because that's what Honda wants to avoid at all costs. Right. But I mean, it's just so well documented how little a shit Honda really gave about two-strokes during this era. So, so that's why it sucks, you know. And it's weird because the 250 was pretty good, but I don't know. Honda was just sort of like, I guess, like, oh, really? We're 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 escalating this. Like, do people really need to go that fast on dirt? But you know, people did did want to. In fact, so. <laughs> Thus, here we go. Um, yeah, I mean there's a reason that people are are um, you know willing to pay money for you know KDXs and and other bikes of, of this displacement, but people only want the CR500. You know, there's a right. reason the CR500 is legend and you've never even fucking heard of the 450r. Uh, I think they only made this for, like, two years or something. I, I have to look that up. But I think by, like, yeah, like, 83 or 84, they were just like, uh, fuck it, like, new model, new engine, new frame, new everything. Because this thing fucking sucks. Um, yeah, there you go. That's my, that's my worst bike in the world this week. It's... I, I mean, just looking at the thing. i
1: It's distressing.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, from when we went and got our dirt bikes and what we thought we needed and like, you know, this sort of like, oh, no, we need kind of like modern stuff. We need stuff with much better suspension than they had back in the day and everything. And then getting out there and testing our skills, we could have made do with a lot of like 80s air cooled four-stroke bikes, no problem. Yeah. But this thing just looks a little fucking sketchy to me. Like I just, I don't know. Just looking at the size of these brakes, just looking at I I, I, uh, I don't know. The proposition of this of like the power band, the four speed gearbox, the the shitty suspension, although it was like a, a rear monoshock. Um I I don't know. This thing might not be. I mean, it's not a lack of power, but it it looks difficult to fucking ride. I don't know that I could go there. Yeah.
1: There you go. Okay. There you go. All right. Let's move on.
0: All right, let's move on. Let's get uh, some some more progress on this episode. Let's skip straight to. Our top 10 best bikes of the 90s list. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay. So let's be clear about the criteria we're using. We have 10 categories here. And don't worry, we're not going to spend a million years on each one. But here we go. We've got our best sport bike of the 90s, best scooter, best cruiser, best sport tourer. We're not going to do bagger or... Or, like, just general, like, cruiser tour. Uh, We'll explain why when we get there. Best small bike, best exotic bike, best adventure bike, best speed wars bike, because that's a very 90s category, best standard bike, and best dirt bike. And these are all the best in the context of the decade, which we are calling 1990 to 1999. Okay. So, for all of you, they're like 1990s, the last year of the 80s. Go fuck yourself. That's just not how people think. And the, um, there's no hard criteria, but every bike that we want to select here should have the majority of these sort of conditions. We would like it to have been manufactured mostly in the 90s but if it's first year of production is 1988 that's not a deal breaker
1: as long as it's prime and it's reputation its prime
0: years yeah it need to be the 90s and it, you know that's you know if it was like kind of a sleeper model that became more popular later on maybe um if it's something like um this might be a bit of a spoiler, but you might go, well, I mean, you got to put, like, the Hayabusa in there for a sport bike or for whatever. Well, the Hayabusa came out in 1999. It's not really representative of the 90s. Right. So, eh, that doesn't disqualify it, but it hurts it. Right? So, this is to do with the culture of. The riding culture, just the the social impact, the way the public viewed bikes, that sort of stuff. What's not the best? What's the best of the 90s? Okay? So let's just get it out the way. Let's talk about sport bikes. Because I think this is, a, a, if not the a golden age for sport bikes. And there's a lot of big names in here. And it's kind of tough to pick one.
1: This is easily the hardest category.
0: Right. So you said, like, right off the bat, you walked through the door, and I was like, okay, I've already scribbled down, like, six bikes. And you were like, well, it's easy. And you were like, it, it's it's the original Fireblade. It's the CBR 900RR. And then I was like, yeah, but what about the Ducati 916? And you went, ooh. <sighs> <laughs> right <laughs>
1: it's like what about the s-rad it's like oh
0: yeah the man. gsxr 750 s-rad like oh so good the the zx7r ninja and of course in 1998 we get the r1 which i it's, it's it's hard like because is the r1 really the first bike of the
1: 2000s in a way i feel like it is I feel like that's that was the first yeah like that that was really kind of the first of the 2000s era really it doesn't spiritually yeah it doesn't really share a lot of the character of the 90s and it's not a bike that
0: um, I don't know the red and white ones kind of do
1: but Uh, (laughs) yeah
0: I, I know what you're saying um I mean, I love me an R1. I, a, a, a bike I have to own before I die is a 98 red and white R1. Absolutely. But I don't know. So um, there's so many bikes on this list, like uh, 90s sport bikes. I think I have to go Ducati 916. I, I think I do. I, because I, I know they're stupid money now and they were expensive back then, but they weren't impossibly expensive. They were expensive, but not impossibly expensive like one is now. So it was very much of the time uh, they were recognized as art. Like the Ducati 916 is, it's even it's bigger than the 90s because it's it's like motorcycle's e-type jag right non-automotive people agree that it's art so i i have to go ducati 916 for the best 90s sport bike i don't even think i'd call it the best sport bike of all time but the 91s i mean as a race winning bike, it's a big deal. As a styling icon, it's a big deal. As just a piece of art, it's a big deal. As, as a benchmark of performance, it's a big deal. I think that's where I've got to land, but I don't know. What, what other thoughts have you got?
1: Uh, I, I still want to go for the CB. For, I, w- I still want to go for the original Fireblade. Um, I guess even then it's still it's tough. I'm I'm gonna go with the Fireblade. Just that era of ridiculous uncontrollable power with no rider assists whatsoever, and just that that escalation it wasn't really a it wasn't a speed wars bike but it was just this escalation like on the 750 class up into kind of the modern leader bike era and it was just a stupid bike
0: yeah i mean it's it's a lot i mean oh they're so cool i just the paint scheme the colors is so much more 90s than the nine one six.
1: If I was to do an honorable mention, I'd I'd throw the, the the ZX7R right behind it.
0: Yeah, I love me a ZX7R. I yeah, oh, there's so many good ones too. There's so many we're leaving out. I, I, but those are the ones that really top it for me. Yeah, that that seven fifty 750s Rad, the ZX7R, the CBR900, the R1 to some extent, the 916 is that front running group. And I don't I have to go 9-1. It's all right. We can have two separate top 10 lists. But anyway, okay. Um, So next one was Best Scooter of the 90s. And I got to look up some of the specs on this again because I only have one written down for this. And I want to see – I'm kind of going to challenge listeners and especially Cleveland Photo <laughs> on this – a better '90s scooter than the Italjet Dragster, um, and it's not that it's the best scooter of all time. But in, I'm going to go with the 180 model for this. Um, in a decade that is not known for good scooters, uh, I mean, this is really a front runner. And now this com- this came out in 98, but again, we're talking about a sort of starved scene, right, for, for notable scooters. So this is 98 to 2002. This is a, um, a single-cylinder, two-stroke, and I don't know how much power uh, – 19 horsepower, supposedly – for a single uh 176 cc two stroke. I mean, that's fast. That that's a lot for for a scooter. But it's so much more than that. If you've never seen one of these things, um the bodywork is outrageous. I mean, the thing is space age looking. It's still like it's from 1998 and it still looks wacky. But it's got like that um Uh, I don't even know what you call it. Like, um, it's basically got the, uh, the, the center hub steering system off like a, uh, um, a Yamaha GTS 1000. So it's like a single sided swing arm in the front that, that turns and steers. It's, it's wild. The, the, the shock is in between, like, like in between your feet, in the footwell it's it's a scooter with floorboards but it's somehow also trellis frame which is wild <laughs> um, yeah, um it's also a cvt it's 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 monoshock rear suspension it's it's a lot of weird kooky things um yeah this is a crazy one i mean it's kind of got like a grill it's it's got um, uh, 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 the styling something else it it kind of looks like you know like the ooze in turtles 2 the secret of the ooze it kind of looks like somebody threw some mutagen on a bumper car if that makes sense yeah I, okay yeah so so yeah, the Italy Dragster, this is really something else. And they're 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 collectible, like they're worth some coin. Um there they just came out with a new one like last year or something, or a redesign on them. Um yeah, I I don't know. There there's a 250 four stroke version, but I feel like the 1752 strokes just kookier and cooler. Um but yeah, the the Italian dragster. I, I I kinda defy someone to come up with a better nineties scooter.
1: Well, it's gonna be tricky. It's gonna be tricky. Really wasn't a great dick. I have nothing really to contribute to this category. <laughs>
0: I have nothing else either. Like I it's I mean <sighs> I, uh, I mean, Vespa was still putting out two strokes, but it's kind of just like the same ones that they were doing. I guess there
1: uh, were some larger kinds of scooters that were introduced, like the Majesty.
0: Yeah, we were kind of getting, I, I mean, someone will probably school me on this, but this is, yeah, a, a kind of like, yeah, some of those like 300, 250 and 300 four stroke scooters were really becoming a thing. Um, uh, cause yeah, dad in the nineties had a, had a Yamaha majesty 300, which was a wonderful thing.
1: Are we counting the gyro in this category? Cause there were definitely some gyros made in the nineties.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, they were, they were everywhere in Japan. Um, But I don't know how important those were to motorcycling culture as opposed to just sort of general culture in Japan. Yeah. And they mean nothing to Western culture.
1: That's true. Whereas I
0: think the Italjet dragster would have definitely been a big status symbol thing to have in Tokyo. You know, because... I mean, people just use scooters so much more there for daily transportation to have something really flashy like that would have carried a lot more weight than riding around a pizza delivery <laughs> <laughs> on the gyro. gyro. The gyro is very near and dear to my heart, but I, I have to go with this is better. That's fair. I mean, I think it's a scooter that most people would agree is cool, which is super rare yeah okay um let's see what else is i feel like that's gonna be our
1: weakest pick
0: okay uh let's go with best cruiser so i've got two that we can debate here and and then i don't know see if you've got something else we can add to the list so one uh you can't talk about harley davidson and the 90s without talking about the fat boy Hmm. Um, I saw one of these in the parking lot in my kid's school this week. And I remember just thinking like, not all of them, but the particular one I was looking at, I was like, time has been kind to this. The, I mean, it was a huge hit right when it first came out. And, you know, it's the bike from Terminator two. It's, it's recognizable. Um, people had mixed feelings on that front wheel. I don't know. As time goes on, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm, I'm better with it. Um, they're, you know, they're not all created equal, but in general, I, I don't know. It's iconic. It's Harley. It's, it's a real Harley for the purist, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, it's the Terminator two bike. What could be more freaking nineties than that? Right.
1: Yeah, well it also just happened I mean the the main thing is it people have actually modified these and have them still look good and the bike just looks good stock. Yeah. Like it did not require any modifications for it to kind of just look like a cool a cool cruiser in Terminator 2. Yeah. It worked stock.
0: Right. So here's my other one. And I mean, you already know what I've put on this list. Um, The Mooglide is my other contender. And it's exactly that point that I think the Mooglide excels even better. Because the Mooglide is basically just a a Harley heritage with the cow leather seats, right? That's what we're dealing with here. So it's got the the big you know flourishy fenders. It's got you know all the little you know super retro things. It's a it's a Harley that looks as retro as a Harley can look essentially. Um, and it's got that cow you know leather seat on it. Um, you know, and they're and they're all real, so they're all different. And um, especially when this is, I don't know if this was the height of. Of customizing your harley but you know this was back when people were spending a lot of money on custom flame paint jobs and that kind of stuff right and i the whole point of this bike i think was to be mostly stock you know the the harley heritage is
1: what it would have been like to be good at doing flame paint jobs in the 90s like you were just set for life Oh my god.
0: Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know what do you think? A uh, Harley flame paint job or or um tattoo arm fl- uh flame guy. Like who who That's pretty who who, d- who did better?
1: Well, I'm going to go with the the car. I'm going to go with paint job because he could
0: do hot rods as well.
1: We have to remember in the 90s like getting a tattoo was still kind of an actual like rebellious thing right this is back in the at the time when like you couldn't like you actually could not have visible tattoos and like get a respectable job
0: yeah this is before kindergarten kindergarten teachers were sleeved out
1: yeah yeah like nowadays it's everyone's like well it would probably be a good idea to not get a tattoo on your face. Like maybe you shouldn't write fuck across your forehead, but I mean, it's, it's not a deal breaker, I guess. (laughs) That's kind of where we are now. But in the nineties, it was like, you've got a hand tattoo straight to jail.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the thing was like, the, you know, the all all the 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 1950s sort of like hot rod bowling, you know, skulls and smash birds thing was was at a very peak, you know, at a fever pitch. But I remember at a certain point, flames weren't good enough; they had to be realistic looking flames. Yeah. and it's a look that real like time has not been kind to at all yeah I, also like what what is supposedly so cool about your bike looking like it's on fire because you're going so yeah. fast tell me chuck so uh, the, yeah so i don't know <laughs> because you're so dumb, but anyway, yeah. So, um, the 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 mooglide, the, the Harley heritage in general, but especially this particular one with this special thing about it. Um,
1: here's an idea for you, I, hear I, me it, out. Okay, Harley Davidson brings back the mooglide, except instead of it just being real cow leather, it's uh. It's a bull. It's especially
0: hide. unvegan. Like they, they, they advertise that they torture yeah. the cows first.
1: So it's, it's, it's bull hide. And it's also got bull horns over the handlebars. And you're only allowed to buy it if you shoot the bull yourself. Yeah. It's ultra prestige. Because in order to actually own one,
0: no, I like it. No, you don't shoot it. You have to walk up to it and hit it with oh, you've one got of the air. You have to yeah. hit it with the air gun, yeah. <laughs> like like in an open arena. Like and like you have to like go to a, a radio and just walk up to it.
1: and do it. <laughs> Not only that, they'll have to make it so that you have to you have to sign a contract in order to purchase one that forbids you from selling it to anybody else because this will maintain the prestige. Because anybody who sees you riding it knows that man has taken a life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, just, but, just throwing it out there, Harley. Can, yeah. Just give it, give it a thought. Yeah,
0: I, I have to say, at this point, like, if I was going to pick like best cruiser of two thousands know, or the the teens or whatever, it would probably be a Japanese bike. But I don't know that these 90s metric cruisers were really up to, you know, what I'm looking for yet. And I think Harley was still, with all of its problems, uh, the best game in town for this kind of stuff. And I've got to go with one of these Harleys. And I think these are the two coolest Harleys of the era, personally.
1: Yeah, I mean... And I would wager that there were a lot of metric cruisers that were actually superior. But... Well, what, uh,
0: technically, but with no X factor.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, is what, what, what metric cruisers are still worth money today? What, what metric cu- uh, cruiser captured, you know, the public's attention... There were some weird ones, like the Magna, that were like, look at this batshit crazy idea. There's a V4 in this cruiser style, but nobody's like, oh yeah, oh you got a Magna? That's super cool. That's classic. Right. It's it's it was it ended up being more disposable. So I think you do have to go the Harley route. And I, I think so, yeah. I I, I I agree with the fat boy. That's that's my choice. I know you're more partial to the glide, but I'm going to stick with the fat boy.
0: I think I think it, even though I prefer the 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 Heritage Special mooglide, but I, you're yeah, just because of Terminator Two and it representing the decade and the styling, and 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 the '90s is really peak Harley Davidson too. It's it's really the top of of the mountain um yeah i gotta go there i, I i've i gotta i've gotta go to your side and go back to the fat boy it has to be the best 90s cruiser it has to be okay so um the next one is best sport tourer um we can't really just do tourer Because it's just going to be the fucking Goldwing, like whatever. You know, the Goldwing is the best bagger slash tour slash whatever from 1975 through today. It's just not a competition, so Mm -hmm. it's it's like we can't rank professionals, right? So I just went, well, let's bypass that and go for sport tour because this is a. This is a category of bike that really came into its own in the 90s, right? We've We had a lot of things that were basically sport bikes but just got blown up into huge proportion. So like you know, there's a CBR um, 1000f. And it kind of looks like a sport bike, but it's just a really big, gigantic, overblown, super duper heavy, very Busa like CBR. Right. But then at a certain point, it was like, well, that, just let them be huge and bulbous and, and old man comfy. And then we started getting things like the st 1100 and, uh, you know, the FJR. Well, in fact the f j r might even be like a late eighties thing, but I feel like it came into its own in the nineties, right so of these bikes, I don't know what 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 suits your fancy
1: uh, I think just for if we're gonna lean depend sport tour is always a hard one just because. When you say sport tourer, you have to cover the spectrum between a straight touring bike and a full-on sport bike. And there's so much in between. You know, a lot of people would consider, like, the VFR 800 potentially a sport tourer. Uh, And, I don't know, I kind of want to... I want to aim for some significant amount of actual touring capability in that range, rather than kind of a sport bike that backed off a bit, like went for more horsepower and was a little less nimble. Um, so I think I do lean more towards like the ST 1100. That's kind of where I want to land there or the FJR. I like those.
0: Yeah, now some people are going to be screaming, well, what about the concourse? If I was going to pick the best sport tour ever, I would probably pick the concourse. But for the 90s, I might go ST1100. Uh, In fact, when did the 1200 get or the 1300 get around? that was much later. Yeah, the ST11. Yeah, it's yeah. 1100 all the way through the
1: 90s. Um, the Concourse did kind of come into its own for quite a bit in the 90s, but...
0: It's kind of more of an 80s innovation.
1: Yeah, and then obviously when it went to the ZX14 kind of style, uh, motor and frame, that was, that was well after... I feel right. like the 90s was kind of... I guess it was kind of a quiet period for that. Well, the fact that it was punctuated either side by the the, the original design and then going to the Speed Wars motor.
0: Right. So, yeah. So, for this, I, I think I got to go Honda ST. I mean, if nothing else, just for the styling, I... It's got that that 90s like ridiculously tall windshield thing going on that I love. Um it's got the 90s aerodynamics to it. It's got um I mean, you know, just the virtues of the bike, um, you know, the 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 power like more power than you'd expect from this, but also sort of all those like very Honda super refined Thing like this is not very far away in in spirit and in aesthetic from something like the um, the PC eight hundred.
1: Uh, I know a it's a completely
0: bit, yeah. different engine layout, but if you look at how much body work is on an ST1100 and you look at the incorporated luggage and you look at the basically leg shields this thing has and you look at the, you know, the just look at the freaking chin on this thing and, and you look at the incorporated um, turn signal, um, uh, you know, um, Mirrors that completely cover your uh, your your grips and and all that stuff. This is kind of the PC eight hundred that worked and worked for the public, you know, because Honda gets it in its idea gets gets an idea of what the public wants and doesn't really give up until they get it right. Yeah. And I know a lot of people these days are like, oh, have you ever heard of a PC-800? They're all weird and kooky and whatever. I I feel like this gets overlooked in people's quest for the most fetishy, weird Honda ever. So they go to PC-800. But... The ST eleven hundred has its own sort of super retro nineties upsetting look that's all its own. <laughs> but yeah. with performance that's not going to disappoint you. It doesn't have a freaking Dovil or Honda Shadow <laughs> motor <laughs> in it. It's it's got you know you know, it's 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 a V4. I mean, how cool is that? It's Yeah, it's I don't know. It's Honda's weird nineties almost gold wing ish offshoot ish sporty ish thing and yeah it's overlooked and i think it's it's kind of one of the best of the decade people are going to lose their shit over this choice and go no way man it, it's gonna be the fgr with more power and this and that
1: i don't know i kind of has almost like um In a lot of ways, it sort of feels like the Norge stole a lot of bodywork off of this thing. Oh,
0: for sure. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It absolutely did. I've thought for a long time that if you had not bought the Norge, you would have easily found your way into an ST-1300.
1: Like, no problem. It's a definite possibility. It may still be a possibility. Yeah. We'll see.
0: All right. Uh, here's a good one. Best small bike. There's a lot of possibilities here. This was a good era for this. Um, so we have to acknowledge that even though it's a, it originates in the eighties, the nineties was a big time for Ninja two fifties. So it's not off the table. It's not off the table. Um, because I mean, the Ninja 250 spans like three decades of production. So I, right? It has as much time inside and outside of the 90s. So I, you know, at least like sort of the original version. Um, I personally think it's the 95 Aprilia RS250 is the small bike of the 90s.
1: It's a good one. Um, If I were to pick my favorite, uh, and it's a little bit niche because it was essentially JDM and then offered in Australia, my absolute favorite is still the Suzuki Across.
0: Yeah, you really need to own
1: one of those at that at some point. No. But the problem with the Suzuki Across is because it was only available in Australia and Japan. It just doesn't have that cultural impact across America and Europe, which I feel like really kind of disqualifies it quite a bit. Yeah. Um
0: yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, I like that I, I, I think if I was going to own these two bikes side by side like the Aprilia and the Across the Across is the one I would end up riding every day but I just don't know that it carries much cultural significance
1: yeah I think that's fair
0: Um. so if you're not Aware of what the Aprilia RS250 is. It's, um, it's a ridiculous machine and it's super duper awesome. It is a 250cc V twin two stroke sport bike. And it is, I, it's crazy because the thing's from the mid 90s and it kind of looks almost like a modern day triumph like sport bike. It is it has aged exceptionally well. I, the the frame looks modern. Uh, the swing arm looks mod like this is the era when everything had a fucking square swing arm. And this thing has a totally just race engineered big old curved. I mean, it looks like it. The it only lo-
1: thing mistakenly nineties about this bike is the exhaust, which is a little bit of a shocker.
0: But well, I, but even a lot of them these days, are you know, are going to have just some modern day pipes that have been put on them. That's um, true people just can't stop. I mean, but this is everything. This is inverted forks. This is double disc brakes up front. Um, this is, you know, full Brembo, everything. This is, you know, big names. Um, this, this is every, all so many things you would expect. Uh, the, the only thing I think, or maybe like the turn signals are a bit nineties, but beyond that, everything else is super duper modern about these things. And, um, yeah, they're just the shit. Uh, it's a, a 250 V-twin two-stroke. I don't even remember how much power they make, but it's like way more than it has business making. I I thought it was like 60 or 70 horsepower or something like that. Like, it's, it's kind of dumb, but it's awesome. I mean, it's just freaking awesome. And I mean, yeah, these were a known thing, right? It was just probably a little bit more overseas than within the US itself but this is something that people will hear about here that you've got and sort of freak out like a like a Honda um, um like NS 400 or something like that people just go what yeah. what have you got like okay like I know there were faster things but not at that displacement not you know not with that cool factor right um were these expensive fuck yes I mean, but, like, insanely expensive? I don't think so. I don't think in terms, like, I'd have to, like, do some inflation calculation and whatever, but I don't think they were, you know, as, like, they would command, like, as much money, you know, versus what people were making, you know. Like, in today's money, I don't think they were as ridiculous as they actually are today. If you want one of these today, it's a little ridiculous, but yeah, super cool. I I don't know the epitome of of cool nineties small bikes. I think, uh, but you know, like again, I I have to also balance this against the Ninja Two Fifty because they were just everywhere.
1: I do. I will say. I think like the. You know, what? I'm going to have to go with the Ninja 250. And I'm and I even think it's totally legit to look at the remodel right at the turn of the decade. Um when everything kind of when it just barely got away from the GPZ styling, when it got away from like the ridiculous front scoop and radiator shroud and kind of
0: I know but I love that the best. it
1: is <laughs> I feel like the the first redesign of the Ninja really came into its own that kind of ninety ninety one ninety two year, and there's still just a bajillion of them around. There are
0: I, I th- the thing about the Ninja two fifty is this era of bikes we're talking about power was just getting crazier and crazier and crazier every year. You know, it was it was very much sort of like computer power was going, right? It we yeah. just thought like oh my gosh in 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 20 years we're all going to have like 3000 horsepower, you know, cars and we're going to have, you know, however fast computers. Now we actually did get computers as fast as we thought we might get back then, but you know like it was just like oh no every year everything's going to be faster but yet the ninja 250 persisted in a world that was very much obsessed with horsepower back then everything was about power we're we're in a post horsepower motorcycle world now but it was everything back then the ninja 250 persisted right i mean uh, how many 250s do we remember from back then as being significant, right? I mean, there's this cool one, but it's also a 252 stroke and V twin that's like super fetishy and like crazy, right? The Ninja 250 is every man and accessible and uh, with like a 16 year old girl on it might do a hundred miles an hour in full tuck with a tailwind, right? But. I mean there was that and the Rebel 250 I, which is a strong contender as well just for how many people started on a Rebel 250 uh, the the cultural significance of the Rebel 250 has faded in recent years but we still I don't know mm. it's tough to say it's really tough to say but I um uh, I mean
1: the Ninja 250 was also uh, quietly in like a shit ton of movies and tv shows yeah because they were everywhere and i guess stunt actors just really liked them because they looked like to the average person kind of a big sport like badass sport bike but they were just really light and maneuverable um mm-hmm. Yep. no. Uh, Ooh,
0: you bring up a good point. Just for the movie and TV screen time, it might be the Ninja Two Fifty. I like Kill Bill. I mean, that's early two thousands. That's but, also a three hundred. Oh,
1: uh, there was True one in, Lies. True Lies. Yeah, yeah
0: this it gets a lot of screen time in True Lies. Um, I know I can think of it. Well, Cool as Ice. Let's not forget that classic piece of cinema. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, yeah,
1: it, the Ninja Two Fifty got a lot of screen. Oh, actually, no, I believe the it might have been the last generation of Two Fifty in Kill Bill. I think
0: it was a Two Fifty, yeah. but it wasn't the '90s one. It was it's like true. it was the redesign, or like the third redesign, or at least second redesign. Anyway, um, yeah, it. Th- yeah ridiculous um mm, now that you now that you bring up all the screen time i'm i'm ooh, it's really hard for me to take the ninja 250 of the aprilia rs 250 but oh for for the significance of the decade and
1: there were probably just like i bet there were like a hundred scenes in just like one-off introductions of like you know, up to no good boyfriends showing up on a motorcycle and it would be a, a Ninja two fifty. Oh yeah. And
0: exact Yeah. Yeah. It was everywhere. I mean, I'll bet you there was a Ninja two fifties in the X files somewhere. Right.
1: Oh, there must've been.
0: I mean, I know there's one in Terminator two as well. There's that scene where he's jumping on his XR 80 and they kind of show like a line of bikes and, you know, where you, yeah. and there's one in there. Um, so a ZX60 Ninja, like I used to have too. I, I, um, yeah, just for all the screen time, it may be the bike that had the most screen time in that decade.
1: I think I think we've got an answer.
0: Yeah, I, I have to go Ninja Two Fifty, even though it's originally an eighties bike. I think its golden era is the nineties. <sighs> that was tough. Okay. Here's a much more fun one. Best exotic. I have one that I'm very partial to, but there's kind of a lot of names that we need to cover here. So let's just get it out of the way. I don't think we're going to pick the NR750.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair.
0: It's awesome. I love that it exists. Uh, this summer, when we I finally saw one in person for the first time, I was blown away, and it was even more beautiful than I thought it was going to be. It was even more perfect than I ever hoped to see one. I didn't realize I was going to be that stoked to see one in person. But there were still other things I was more excited to see. I love the NR750. It's kooky. It's awesome awesome i you know the next time i'm doing uh mountains of blow with Nicolas cage we're going nr 750 shopping but until that day <laughs> <laughs> um uh i i'm, I'm gonna go so so my personal pick the the 90s exotic bike that i like the best is either the Bimoda DB2 or the original Tessie. So mm-hmm. the Tessie is the the Bimoda crazy front uh front uh hub steering uh one. And you know, you know, leave it to me because I I'm a, have I'm always a sucker for a boutique bike. And I feel like the um the original Bimoda Tessie is just so perfectly fucking fetishy. It's somewhere in between a um I it you know, it's almost like a uh, it's almost like an Italjet dragster on growth hormones, in a way. And I'm all about it. It it's there's so many things. I, I love the 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 first gen one, I love the second gen one. I, I love them all. They're they're super kooky. They're super weird. It's front center steering for no good reason. It's, uh, it's everything about it's bizarre. It's super collectible. It's a conversation piece. It's many many things, and it's Bimota from like the heyday of Bimoda, right? Mm. Well, some people might say it's the seventies, but I think it's the nineties. Anyway. The Bimota Tessie just, I don't know. I think it's super cool. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, what else do we have to mention for 90s exotic bikes?
1: Well, it's a little bit late, but there is the MV. It goes to F4.
0: Oh yeah. That, that Yeah. Yeah. I had that jotted down. Yeah. Yeah. The, you have to talk about the, F, the F4. Um, so yeah, it it comes in late, but it's definitely there. Um it's awesome. It's unbelievable power. It's unreliable. It's beautiful. It's everything an exotic bike should be. Um It was on a lot of posters, you know. Um Yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Um the, the other bimoda I would list, if not the Tessie, is the uh the the DB2, which is a Bimoda that a lot more people could get on board with me, I think. But I could also just kind of say really any 90s bimoda for best exotic.
1: Except for the V Doo.
0: Except for the V Doo, yeah. He, he, the V Doo is definitely not it. I The DB2 is especially great. It's, it somehow has more fairings than any other 90 sport bike, but simultaneously shows off more trellis frame than any other sport bike. Yeah. Um, it's, it's round and bulbous in all the right places. And it's like, it's like muscular and sinewy in all the right places. Um, it's, it's got that almost like Yamaha, like Cyclops looking front, like 90s aerodynamic
1: face to it. Um, it has a weird mix of, a lot of them have like, oh, it's like a weird mix of colors and style elements. That's kind of like getting like a VCR with wood veneer on it.
0: There, it's super rare, but there is one uh, particular paint scheme on it, which is basically Italian flag camouflage. and it's fucking rad. They're not super common, but, oh, it's so cool, I think. Uh, but this is this is a sport bike from back when every sport bike had a great big fat ass, like they should. You know the the geometry is all correct, and it's just mm. completely uncompromised. Way expensive, even. I mean, it's even questionable economics as far as racing goes. It's it's properly exotic. Uh,
1: yeah, I think I think I I, I think that the the, the DB two makes the most sense.
0: But I mean I I'm willing to extend it because the you know cuz they you know Bimota made a lot of different things on a lot of different platforms a lot of different with a lot of different manufacturers motors I'd be willing to just say 90s Bimota in general is the best 90s exotic like pick your favorite one Yeah and that's a bit of a cheat but I mean like i said like a real exotic bike should be temperamental i don't want it to be reliable like fuck you i that's yeah. it, there should be not just a financial barrier to buying it but there should be a huge financial barrier to maintaining it right
1: yeah if you're not and if you're not worried about the like the hit to resale value that it it's costing you to put miles on it. Like, it's not really exotic, is it? Right. I, I, if you're counting miles before, like, up to when your insurance policy gets canceled. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, if, when I, your insurance policy looks more like a lease agreement. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I. Yeah, it needs to be something that it's like, it's not just expensive like it needs to be something it was like it was like you know like wh- people didn't even know where to buy these right like you had to this is like you couldn't just find somebody selling one on ebay right you couldn't just go to like what you know some sort of um, high-end auction house you couldn't like, you had to know a guy to just get one of these Right, that's properly exotic in in the real sense that it was right. Nowadays, you might have to like
1: walk down to the Ferrari dealership, and that guy would have a phone number in his Rolodex, <laughs> and he'd give it right. to you. Yeah, and that guy would. But know would he guy. give it
0: to you? Like, <laughs> like who are you? I'm not just giving out my contacts. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it, it was. It, this is yeah. You'd be surprised how hard things were to do, like, pre-internet.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, there were, if if you didn't have, like, a nice guitar shop in your town, it was like, well, where do I get a Gibson? Like, oh, you're gonna have to drive to Indianapolis. Like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like, yeah, you know, so... This was something that was very much, you know, sort of only existed on posters and in the imaginations of people. And if you ever saw one in person, it was a fucking event. I mean, it still is for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like this was kind of the last time that Bimota was in people's consciousness that way. I feel like the by the time the video comes around it just completely destroys everything like they just have no credibility anymore and it's all gone but by but you know mid 90s it was still a big deal to have one of these and it yeah okay let's see here best adventure bike of the 90s i've got two very three very different ones uh written down here um, so we have to acknowledge, uh, just for, even though it was like the very end of the nineties or maybe it was even one, um, so the, the, the long way round bike, that was the R 1150 and uh, did that technic- technically come out in like 99?
1: Uh I wanna say it was like ninety ninety seven, ninety-eight. Was it really?
0: Ooh, we gotta do I gotta do an extra Google now. I, I should have I should already know this, like for the segment, but there, we're talking about so many freaking bikes. Uh uh-huh. uh. Uh, VGS, let's go. Uh, 99. 99. That's what I thought. So this is technically a 90s bike. And if you're going to talk about like the most single influential adventure bike, this is probably it. But honestly, like long way Round is like 2002, something like that. Maybe even just 2001 when they filmed it. And it kind of existed around for like
1: four or five years before it caught on. I don't think anybody was, I, I don't think this is at all in the public consciousness until long way around came out. And even then, like it had to stew for a little bit.
0: Right. So this is, this is like the most influential adventure bike ever, but, But not for the 90s. Yeah. But I'll tell you what was two bikes that were adventure, that were around, that were visible. So I argue for the 90s, just the BMW R100 GS. I mean, still a a very adventurable thing. I mean... You know, it's old school. There's there's no tech in it whatsoever. It's just sort of a BMW kind of rigged out to be as rugged as it can be. And yeah, you know the the beak doesn't look the way you want it to, like it like you know the GS does these days, or or even did you know at the end of the decade. But I mean, it does the thing and. I know people hated the way that they looked as compared to, you know, the 1150 and 1200 GSs that came later. I argue that this one's kind of growing into its looks now. Uh, uh, I, I kind of feel like the 1150 GS is kind of looking dated and the, B, and the R100 is, um, I don't know, I think it's the cooler looking one uh, these days.
1: I think I have the correct answer for this whole category.
0: Well, let me mention my other one first. Well, no, you tell me your other one, then I'll give you my second very different option.
1: The Yamaha Tenere.
0: Okay, that's very good. I was going to also throw in there the DR650.
1: This is sort of another Ninja 250, but with an even wider mm-hmm. time span. Either side. I know, I, I know. Think, I think it's too dilute. I don't think. uh I, I don't think it counts. I'm gonna, I'm gonna veto that. Okay. But I don't know. Uh,
0: so you think Tenere versus R100?
1: I do. And I think the the Tenere was the more real world example. I think it was more in the consciousness.
0: You think so? Um, Hmm. Let me. All right, let's go. Let me. It's been a while since I've really taken a strong look. <sighs> I mean, we go in 600 or 750. What, what's your. Oh, the
1: 660. The
0: 660, okay. Hmm.
1: The XD600. Man. These are so weird. I mean, I love them but um are we gonna pretend that like the trans alp looked normal well no.
0: more normal than this uh, <laughs> um, oh, you think the tenere um hmm, hmm. Huh, the old 750 tenere
1: is kind of rad in that white and red mm, mm, mm. i mean that's a legit one too i think that
0: the blue and yellow is pretty spot on,
1: but yeah, no, just the the XTZ 660, XTZ
0: 660. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, on the performance, you're one hundred percent right. Um, you're you're absolutely right. Um, on on the performance, the this for a nineties yeah adventure kind of bike. Although I mean adventure this again this is weird because adventure wasn't really a term back then like people would call them Dakar bikes or you know um but specifically the the 660 yeah yeah time's been a little kinder to this than I'm than I'm thinking at first what what do you think do you like the single headlight or the dual
1: I like the single headlight
0: I do too If it's the single headlight, I'll agree with you (laughs) on the 660.
1: (laughs) I I think this is a tricky one because of the fact that we didn't really... You know, I'm going to have to go back on it. I'm going to have to say we're just going to have to give it... Even though it's kind of on the border, being a 99, I think we have to give it to the 1150GS. I know okay, I, don't, I don't I don't know
0: that it's important to the decade.
1: Uh yeah. This but a, I mean
0: but yeah, it is a 90s also, like, adventure bike.
1: Also nobody cared about the category really until that bike came along.
0: I mean you're you're right. But hmm I mean, I I think if I was going to be doing real adventuring, would I rather have a 91 XTZ 660 or a 99 R1150? I think I'd rather have the 660.
1: Depends. I don't know. Mm. Mm.
0: Oh, This is, yeah, this is tough. This is really tough. I'll tell Um, you what
1: it's definitely not. It's not a fucking one thousand D multistrata.
0: No, that is <laughs> definitely not what it is. Yeah. Uh, um, oh. mm Okay, we're we're split on this one, but uh, it's one of those two for sure. Maybe we'll come back around and figure. This out. Okay, let's get. Okay, here's a really fun one. Best speed wars bike of the 1990s so this is when bikes start exceeding 130 horsepower this is when we start just going you know what one liter isn't enough like we we don't even care about the upper bounds of of racing like we we are just going full on what is the largest conceivable motorcycle engine we can we can produce that won't blow up that will make insane power we're chasing top speed what have we got um a lot of people would say the hayabusa but i don't think i really heard anyone Like, you know, we say, like, oh, well, you know, no one really cared about the adventure bike category. But yet here in 1991, you know, we've got XTZ 660 Tenere. Like, it wasn't popular in the U.S., but it was a thing, right? The Hayabusa was just not a thing anywhere until, like, 2003. I mean, yeah, it hit magazines and people were like, oh, my gosh. But, like, no one saw one in public, right? No one... The, the like busa bros didn't exist until the mid 2000s right yeah it was just this insane thing that you saw in magazines and i don't know maybe you'd get passed by one on the highway at ridiculous speeds one time and then by 2005 everyone's like oh yeah have you heard about the the Hayabusa? it's the fastest bike in the world and da, da, and and whatever and it's it's a myth more than it's a bike. It's whatever, but it's also the bike that was kind of like the end of the speed wars, right? It ended right. So I kind of find the bikes leading up to it more fun. Cause I, in a way, the, the booster was kind of a party killer, right? Like, you know, that guy that shows up to the party and gets a little too drunk. And it was like, okay, things have gotten more wild, but now it's somehow less fun, right? It's it's yeah, it, it's that one escalation too far. Um, so just for the pure wackiness of it, like one that I I don't think this is the best one, but I think it's worth mentioning the GSXR eleven hundred Katana, and this is something you should just. Google because it's a katana that everyone will like. You, you know, it's, um, I mean, first of all, it just doesn't look like a katana. It looks like a really, really big ass Jixer 750. And it's an 1100 and it's got that insane, like, Jixer 750 ish frame and it's got crazy bodywork, and it's fast as fuck it's 130 horsepower and it's it's carbureted and it's big and it's in your face and it most importantly looks nothing like any other katana um i mean they got like more round and bulbousy towards the end of the decade but this is a speed wars bike that people forget about but you know when back when jixers were fucking jixers this was the top of the jixer mountain for a, for a minute and that's pretty cool i i think i it's it's just worth saying although i think we have to give personally best speed wars bike to the hold on cbr the honda the honda
1: cbr 1100 xx super blackbird yes yeah it's just (laughs) for the name
0: but also um again styling that i mean the 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 gixer 1100 is amazing in sort of a uh, a late eighties to mid nineties kind of styling phenomenon. If you're into that, the Blackbird again aging very gracefully.
1: Yeah, it does look at at this point. It's not that it doesn't look at all dated, but it looks kind of mid two thousands at this point. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and nothing to scoff at in the the power department. What is this like a hundred and fifty seven horsepower or something like that?
1: Uh, it is uh claimed 164.
0: Okay, I wasn't far off. Yeah, um, uh, the this is a bad mofo. Yeah,
1: I think it's like 130 something at the wheel. Mm hmm. Um,
0: yeah, By by all accounts, comfy. I mean, it's it's a Honda and it's it's a Honda for back when Honda had the fastest bike that's pretty
1: cool yeah and, which for for road legal bikes is probably never going to happen again
0: right well and again let, let's just say one more time the cbr 1100 xx super blackbird what a name i mean and i know you're gonna go well pete did you know that that Hayabusa means peregrine falcon, and they feed on blood. Yes, we've heard that story. I've g- trust me, I've heard that story. Yeah. <laughs> tell me what else you know. It is fun, but it's not CBR eleven hundred XX Super Blackbird. I mean, that's like a that's like a code name you give to a fighter jet, right? I that it doesn't get any cooler than that for motorcycle names. This is like top this is this is top 2 well, it coolest is, motorcycle names ever.
1: Well, it is also most likely a reference to the blackbird spy plane.
0: Probably. I but it doesn't matter. It could be a reference to fucking nothing. It's just awesome. It is right I
1: oh it, oh actually, I'm literally on the Wikipedia page, and yes, it is a reference to the sr seventy one so there you go that's
0: there you go, that's all you need to know I mean, um, other honorable mentions the uh the the ninja eleven hundred the zx eleven i i I'm personally a sucker for it because it's it's kind of like the um the the ZZR 600 or ZX 600E like I had but just blown up super big. It, this is probably the comfiest of all these bikes.
1: Yeah, well it again to to bring this back to like the college party analogy. You know, the the ZX11 is the first to kind of cut loose a little bit. The the Blackbird you know, really kind of hits the right note. And then the Hayabusa goes over the top and ruins the party. Yeah.
0: Yeah, if I was going to have one of these from the decade, right? I mean, obviously, if you're going to have one of these bikes, get a new Hayabusa because you won't have like crazy reliability problems and four carburetors on a bike like this. But I mean, let's put it this way. If you're having one from the era, the Blackbird's the one to have, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean... The ZX, the, the zx eleven hundred, the ZX11 is beer pong, the the blackbird is the keg stands, and the, the Hayabusa is meth in the basement.
0: <laughs> okay, um, let's move to a really easy one. Um, the best standard bike of the nineties.
1: So I think we both agreed on this very early on. Yeah, it's, it's the Ducati Monster.
0: It's straightforward. Honorable mention, I think, the uh the the street triple. Uh
1: yeah, we did the, the 1050 the street triple the, the street triple ten fifty, yeah. which is a solid answer, but you know, every time we kind of bring up a, an Italian bike as like being particularly special it's usually because it's notable for destroying a manufacturer and right. killing a company. This time we get to pick one that actually saved an Italian manufacturer. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's um uh you know, is the the motor out of the 900 SS that people loved. Uh I still love that that um I uh, I almost wanted to say for this the uh, the Ducati 900 um, cr like, like the super rare like half fared sort of cafe-ish thing because it's not a fully fared sport bike but it's yeah it's not a standard bike and the monsters kind of like that bike but standard it up and I don't know but you're right it it turned things around for a company it made it made Ducati kind of viable again it's a styling icon and standard bikes just weren't popular in this time. Everything was like a sport tour. It seemed a, an off road bike, a, um, like a super hyper bike or a big Harley cruiser. And that's kind of like the nineties. And Mm -hmm. this was something just totally different. It was like, Hey guys, remember like normal motorcycles? Remember back to basics, but like in this like new sexy way you're not familiar with.
1: Yeah, but also um because they made it so much simpler by getting rid of the fairings, uh the monster was just kind of the cheapest Ducati you could buy. And which it was a great, you know, for for a small batch, you know, we say small batch. They do make like 40,000 bikes a year, but compared to every other manufacturer. Is it that many? I think mean, it's like 40,000 a year. Um I mean I'm sure Suzuki makes 3 times that many Jixers every year but yeah like they're still very they're still small for a motorcycle manufacturer and I I don't know what year I'm quoting that 40,000 from but it's it's not you know in terms of like an international name like it's not that many but you know, it was always kind of, you know, a Ducati was this weird, exotic thing still for a long time, but when the monster came around, it was more like, well, any asshole can own a Ducati now. It's a little bit premium, you know, you're, you're, you're putting your money into it, but it's, it, you know, it kind of became an attainable thing. Yeah. And yeah it kind of changed the brand quite a bit. Instead of everything being this fully fared sport bike, it it shifted the brand a lot, which also kind of made room for something like the Scrambler to come along later on. Uh, yeah. I think it... I, I don't know if there's another... If there's anything really close for the 90s.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, I mean... There's some kooky standard bikes from the eighties, but for the, nothing else really stands out like this does for me. I'm, I'm, I'm even kind of struggling because a lot of things that you would call standard bikes were almost more like naked sports. I'm thinking like those, those weird 750 Nighthawks at the end. You know, I'm thinking like, um, what else was kind of standard ish? I, not a lot, not a lot. Um, it was all very uncomfortable. It was all very, it was all very, um, like, like almost Harley Sportster in the front sports bike in the back for a lot of nineties standard bikes. They just put sport bike tails on everything. And yeah. the monster was the only one that made sense. Uh, everything else was just kind of leftover stuff that was boring or what. I mean,
1: everything was kind of parts bin.
0: Yeah. It just, yeah, this, this is the only like enduring good one that would be cool to ride today, but also again, important to the decade. All right. And then, so let's get to best dirt bike of the nineties. Now this is Probably the category that I've got like the least knowledge of, but I have a solid reasoning for my pick on this. And I picked the XR 400R. And the reason for that is of all the 90s and retro dirt bikes that people covet and all the big talk about two strokes and the end of two strokes or how two strokes are still cool or, hey, you know, two strokes are coming back. The retro bike that I see most common at the track is the XR200 and XR400R. And of course, the 400's cooler. And yeah, it's still a totally viable bike today. I, it costs nothing to do a top end rebuild on these things. I mean, it is a unbelievably small number of moving parts. It is unbelievably easy to maintain, unbelievably easy to completely rebuild one, and they still exist, and they still exist in large numbers. And they, I mean, they're just, I think they're the coolest looking 90s dirt bikes for certain. And, um, I, uh, just on the reliability alone and the legacy that there's so many, just you go to any track and someone's bombing one around. You know, I might even have to switch this to the 200, it's the 200 or the 400, but, but, but just for how many people have had access to them, what a gateway into the sport that particular bike is like offering such low maintenance and all of that i you know and still being totally competent not for professionals but for your average asshole uh they're pretty cool and and in recent years they've started like fetching a lot more money than you'd think they would like around here they're often like approaching 3 grand for like one from the 90s
1: that's pretty good, but we could also go with the KX two hundred and fifty solely because of Rumble in the Bronx.
0: Oh shit!
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, the the, the, the mm. KX fifty, the the KX two hundred and fifty, I think does is also kind of like the Ninja two hundred and fifty, in that it was kind of in every stunt in Hollywood that involved a dirt bike at the time. In fact. It was involved in a lot of stunts that didn't involve dirt bikes, but were bikes that were going off-road, and so had to be a dirt bike. Yeah, you know, kind of like a uh a torque situation. But no, Shit. I, I KX250. Oh man, this is a I I, I I'm I'm also I kind of brought it up as a counterpoint, but I'm also leaning towards the XR 400R. I think
0: the, the logo f- stickers are so fucking rad on these.
1: <laughs> they are really awesome. Um, mm,
0: I'm gonna. Go it look- might be a tie between the KX 250 and the XR 400R. Oh, this is a tough one. Oh, I don't know if I can choose oh god with the, the these fucking green bikes with their their awesome blue seats and purple letters <laughs> it's so good and yeah these were these were badass um fuck mm I'm not I'm gonna stick to my guns. I'm gonna give myself credit. Um the KX250 is a ve- is like it's just a hair behind it. But I think again, like I I've seen one or two of these at the track, and I see XRs every fucking time I go, like multiples, right? I, I, you go there and you see like a group of four people just all taking turns on a 400 that just never gets a fucking break all goddamn day. And, and you don't, you don't see that with, with these KXs, you know? You just don't. I, they, they break. They, you know, they wear out and people don't want to rebuild them or whatever. I mean, they're around, but, not in the way the four hundreds are, in, in, for what I've noticed around these parts. I mean, I've definitely seen these, but not not in huge numbers. So I got to go four hundred. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think the four hundred also just makes a lot of sense, just because of what it did in terms of beginning the transition to four stroke dirt bikes. I
0: mean, I I have to give that to the the YZF 400 more than I do the XR 400. Um, but I think for well, the YZ 400 did it for professional racing. I think yeah, the XR series kind of did it more for the weekend warrior. Like I just like riding dirt bikes.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, because you know. It I mean yes it was air cooled and was it the most powerful? No. But it was it was adding a maintenance item to you know to dirt biking, which is something that requires a very regular maintenance already, and it did it in the way that the public could stomach it.
0: Well they were also very easily street legal, and that was a big deal for a lot That's of streets as well. They, I think you could buy them street legal or not, um, and so you saw a lot of people bombing these around town. So that's got to edge it out on the 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 KX as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right. Yeah, I like it.
0: <laughs> okay. Cool. So that's our that's our list. That's or you know we're working on it at the very least. We challenge anyone. To challenge us, come at us, all right? Because I'm sure there's stuff that we've uh, not thought of in here, but I think this is this is a pretty good starting point. And I promise we're not going to do a huge exhaustive series of of shit like this. But I think in like you know six months, maybe five months, maybe eight months, we might do the 80s or the 70s or whatever else. I, I like this just picking a, a decade; It doesn't even have to be in order. Pick a decade. Pick a fight. Pick a, Yeah. Pick a decade. <laughs> I like it. All right, cool. Um, uh, Last thing before we go, uh, we usually do corrections and emissions at the beginning of the show. I do know that for the last episode we released, I was incorrect on that. um, Ducati is becoming the sole manufacturer and supplier of moto e-bikes next year, not competing with Energica. Um, But My opinion does still differ from everyone else's in that I don't think this is a huge disaster. If there is a company that knows a shit ton about racing chassis, it is Ducati, okay? They don't need to be the world's leading engineer of electric motors. They just need to be able to source the best electric motors, which guess what? They can. Okay, Uh, they don't need to be making the most crazy batteries either. You think Energica is making batteries? Fuck off. Panasonic's making them. Um, So I don't I don't think Ducati. It's like, oh, Ducati's never made an electric bike before. It's going to suck. Like, I think Ducati knows something about making race bikes. They do have, like, the best bike in MotoGP right now. Can we give
1: them some fucking credit? We should also keep in mind that building electric bikes overall is not simple, but a hell of a lot simple than building uh, an ice bike. Like, yeah, it's like battery, motor controller, motor. That's your drivetrain. yeah Yeah. i you know like um, throw a gear but yeah yeah and they're all gonna be mid-drive obviously people have
0: a lot of love for energica which is fine there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever but we are talking about an electric bike that's like what three or four years old right now like how many race bikes last that long without a redesign? It's like, also is like it a not a forty
1: thousand just... dollar bike that right. nobody's ever seen before? But
0: as far as a top level competitive race bike, isn't it just naturally at the end of its life anyway? Uh, for commercial purposes, I'm sure it's viable for a lot longer. But as far as the top level of technology of motors and batteries and things that are available, I bet it's not the cutting edge anymore. I, you know, and, and if we don't swap it for something now, then when? Is it yeah. not racing that pushes the development of all these things? Oh, you don't want Ducati to do it because Energica is such a huge company with so many resources?
1: name a company that's better suited to do it than Ducati. I would like to see some actual competition, but I don't think we'll get there until there is actually some interesting news um, in the electric bike space that we should go over, but definitely not now. Um, Maybe in the next two or three episodes at some point I will, I might bring it up, but. yeah,
0: after Thanksgiving because, like I said, yeah, next week we gotta we gotta talk about just GP GP and Valentina Rossi. Then we gotta we got a movie commentary. We got knock knockout, and then who knows? Yeah. So anyway, what are we at? Like past two hours now? Yeah, two fifty. Okay, so we gotta wrap this one up. But there we go. That's been one seventy three. I think this might be one seventy four hmm
1: anyway i abdicated this responsibility about 150 episodes ago right so. yeah
0: <laughs> anyway uh i had fun with this one i hope people have fun with this one uh do not hesitate to send us your opinions on this one we welcome it because i think all our reasoning was pretty solid um and with that let's remind everyone to stay safe stay tuned and keep fighting the dragon ready to do it let's go
1: and i don't want to die
0: i just want to ride on my
1: motor
0: side
1: eric's like what the fuck is going on yeah. <laughs>